to open your Bibles with me this morning to the New Testament book of Acts as we continue in our verse-by-verse study of the beginning of the Christian church. Luke is writing in the book of Acts, he's writing this detailed report, this detailed account of how the Christian faith started, on how the church started, and how it all started to, to move forward. And today we're going to come to a very important moment in the movement, in the, in the, the growth of the Christian church. This is the moment where the church spreads in mass. I want you to imagine that you're on vacation, you and your family are on vacation, and you go to New York City, and there's so many people around. You and the kids are taking in the sights, you're taking in the sounds, but something in the middle of the street, in the middle of Times Square happens. Big, an amazing event happens, and you see it, and your family sees it, and thousands of people who are there on vacation, they all see it. Everyone sees this happen. Everyone eventually, your vacation ends and you head home. You go home and you tell your friends what happened when you were there. You tell your family what happened when you were there. You and I, we're, we're going to bring that story back home to Paris, California. But there's other people who were there that are taking that story back to their home in Billings, Montana. They're taking it back to, to Dallas, Texas, to Kingman, Arizona, to Tallahassee, Florida, to Montrose, Colorado, to Toronto, to maybe Rio de Janeiro. There's so many different places that people are going and they're taking the story of that event that happened. Everyone saw the same thing. Now that story is going home. That's what happened at Pentecost. This morning, we're introducing the Holy Spirit into our study. We've learned that the Holy Spirit lives in you. The Holy Spirit, a member of the, the Trinity, the Holy Spirit is God, and the Holy Spirit resides in the hearts of all Christians. It's called indwelling. The Holy Spirit dwells, dwelling, that's where you live, lives in your heart. If you're a Christian, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, God lives in you. Now, how did he get there? How did he get in your heart? Well, when you gave your life to Jesus, you were baptized in the Holy Spirit. God moved into your heart. There is nowhere else that God wants to live other than in your heart. Now, baptism of the Holy Spirit, that's, that's different than what we participate in in believers' baptism. This is, this is the Holy Spirit moving into your heart, taking residence in your heart. Jesus actually talked about this. One page before our study, he talked about this in Acts chapter 1. I'm going to put it up here on the screen. Acts chapter 1, verse number 5 says this. John, this is Jesus speaking. John, John the Baptist, baptized with water, but in just a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. You remember that Jesus said, he said this, he says, once I am gone, God the Father is going to send God the Holy Spirit to dwell in and among his people. So those are the words that Jesus gave us. This is the moment that that prophecy from Jesus actually comes 
to reality. This moment is Pentecost. Now, I know for some new Christians, maybe you've heard the word Pentecost, not quite exactly sure what it's all about. Even some more mature Christians might have some sort of an understanding of Pentecost. And depending on what church that you used to go to, you might have different doctrines on Pentecost that that you were raised with. When we get to Acts chapter 2, we're actually going to sit here for a couple of weeks because I really want to understand, I want you to understand the Holy Spirit. We often learn about Jesus, God the Son, and we pray to our Heavenly Father, God the Father. Now we're talking about God the Holy Spirit. In order for us to properly understand Pentecost in a Christian context, I think it's important that we actually understand Pentecost from a Jewish context. Exactly what did the apostles see? What was in their mind during this moment in Pentecost? So we're going to go all the way back. We're actually going to put ourselves in this moment in Acts chapter 2, and we're going to see what the apostles saw. So we're in the city of Jerusalem. We're here with hundreds of thousands of people who are there and they've come from for a for a festival to the town so these people are from jewish descent they're from all over the land except except for there are some roman soldiers who wander around the the town keeping peace and that's what they do but all of the jews who are here are following tradition this is what they do now this is what god tells the israelites to do And then we're going all the way back to the book of Exodus. God had taken them out of 400 years of slavery. And watch this. I'm in Exodus chapter 34, and I'm in verse number 18. God tells them this. He says, you must celebrate the festival of unleavened bread. For seven days, the bread you must eat must be made without yeast, just as I commanded you. Celebrate this festival annually at the appointed time in early spring in the month of Aviv, for that is the anniversary of your departure from Egypt. So here's God giving a command for a celebration to the Israelites. This first celebration is called Passover. The Passover celebration, it's a remembrance festival where the people remember God's movement when the Jews were in Egypt, and it's going all the way back to that time in early in Genesis and Exodus, way back early in the Bible, where we see God is taking the people out of Egypt, and we get into the book of Exodus. But I want you to see this in Exodus chapter 12, I'm in uh, verse number 1. While the Israelites were still in the land of Egypt, the Lord gave the following instructions to Moses and Aaron. Verse 2, from now on, this month will be the first month of the year for you. Announce to the whole community of Israel that on the 10th day of the month, each family must choose a lamb or a young goat for a sacrifice. One animal for each household. Verse number 5, the animal you select must be one year, a one-year-old male, either a, sh- a sheep or a goat with no defects. Verse 7, They are to take some of the blood and smear it on the sides of the top of the door frames of the houses where they eat the animal. Verse 12, on that night I will pass through the land of Egypt and strike down every firstborn son and firstborn male 
animal in the land of Egypt. I will execute judgment against all the gods of Egypt, for I am the Lord. Verse 13, but the blood on your doorpost will serve as a sign marking the houses where you are staying. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. This plague of death will not touch you when I strike the land of Egypt. This is the day to remember. Each year from generation to generation, you must celebrate it as a special festival to the Lord. This is a law for all time. So the Passover celebration commemorates the moment when the Holy Spirit passed over the homes of the Israelites, Israelites and Jews, interchangeable term, okay, so it passed over the homes of the Israelites when they were in Egypt. And then about a million people are leaving Egypt and heading out into the desert on their way towards the Promised Land. Passover is a pilgrimage festival where people from all over the land, current day, Acts chapter 2, travel to Jerusalem for the Passover festival. Now, if you lived in Jerusalem, that's cool. You don't have to go anywhere. You can stay home. The town's going to turn into a festival. Anywhere else, you're out and you're on foot and you're walking to Jerusalem for the Passover festivities. Now, the next Jewish festival that is celebrated, it's called the Feast of Weeks. It's referred to by the Jewish people as Pentecost. I'm going to read you this from Exodus chapter 34. I'm in verse number 22. God says, you must celebrate the festival of harvest, Pentecost, with the first crop of wheat harvest and celebrate the festival of the final harvest at the end of the harvest season. Three times a year, every man in Israel must appear before the sovereign, the Lord, the God of Israel. Three times a year. Pentecost is the Greek translation for the festival of weeks. It's that second festival. Penta is the Greek word, it means five. Think Pentagon, five sides, right? Pentecost means 50th. It's a festival that celebrates the first fruits of the harvest. People would bring their first fruits. Once the harvest comes up out of the ground, you would chop, you would, you would take your harvest. The very first part of your harvest went to God. That's this festival, the first crops, the Feast of Weeks, it's referred to. It's celebrating when the nation of Israel, now after Passover, remember they came out of Egypt celebrating Passover. Now they went out into the desert and the congregation of about a million people are meeting at the base of Mount Sinai. Tradition has it that they met there 50 days after the Passover. Now it's another celebration. By the time we get to Acts chapter 2, the Jewish people have celebrated Pentecost for about 1,500 years. It's part of life. It's what they do. They celebrate Pentecost. So now, modern day, Acts chapter 2, we have Jews in the city of Jerusalem from all over the place. And if we go back, they're here for Pentecost, okay? And if we go back seven weeks and one day, we go back 50 days, we saw Jews in Jerusalem a month and a half ago also. But they were celebrating something else. They were celebrating, remember, Passover. But 50 days ago, something happened at that Passover that's probably hard to forget. Some Jews cared, some Jews didn't care. 
But during that Passover, Jesus was crucified. There were people in town who still remember that. There's people coming back to town for this Pentecost celebration that still remember that. Now, in this territory, of course, there's seasons just like there are in our world. Passover would come with some harsh weather around the area. Pentecost is a month and a half later. Actually, the weather was a little bit better around Pentecost. So you might have more people coming to Jerusalem during these times, because remember, they're traveling on foot. And they, they, they might walk three, four, five days from wherever they're at to get to Jerusalem. So you might have a larger crowd in Jerusalem for Pentecost than you did for Passover. So there is a lot of people here. Isn't it amazing that God uses festivals, massive crowds of his people to spread his kingdom? There's thousands of people in town. There were thousands of people, hundreds of thousands of people in town for the Passover celebration a month and a half ago. And God's kingdom was spread. That's when Jesus died on that cross. A few days later, that's when he rose again. There were people in town. Now the people are back. A massive amount of people in town. Acts chapter 1. Just a few days before, just about a page before in your Bible. This is when we saw the disciples between the Passover and the Pentecost celebrations, okay? There are 50 days in between those two celebrations. For the first 40 of those days, Jesus returned and he was on earth with the apostles. He was seen by more than 500 people. He's in the upper room. We have stories. We know that Jesus was there for 40 days. Then Jesus ascended back into heaven 10 days before Pentecost. The apostles saw him ascend. There is a 10-day period now between when Jesus ascends back up into heaven and this Pentecost celebration. In those 10 days, we saw this a couple of weeks ago when, um, when Pastor Michael Flynn was here. In those 10 days, we saw the 11 disciples come together. They brought on a new guy. They brought on Matthias. Now they're 12 men again, and they're ready to go. They have no clue what to do next, but they were told to stay in Jerusalem so now we've got a team. Let's pick up the action. We're in the New Testament book of Acts. We're in chapter 2, and I'm starting in verse number 1. On the day of Pentecost, all of the believers were meeting together in one place. We're actually going to pause right there for just a minute. The question is, who are they? Some scholars believe that Luke is writing only about the 12 apostles, and some say that it's referring to the 120 people who were mentioned in Acts chapter 1. We're going to look at that. Luke wrote this one chapter earlier, Acts chapter 1, verse number 12. Luke wrote this. He says, When the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives, a distance of half a mile, when they arrived, they went to the upstairs room at the house where they were staying. During this time, when about 120 believers were together in one place. So this group of 11... There were some others that came together with them. So there's about 120 believers in this group. So Acts chapter 2, it starts off and it tells us that they, the believers, were all together in one place. We have the men who followed Jesus for three years, saw him after his crucifixion, just watch him ascend into heaven, 
small group of believers, 120 people. Now this is where things get, this is where things get really good. This is where the action starts. It's like Christmas at Disneyland right now. This is the good part. Here we are. Acts chapter 2, I'm in verse number 2, okay? Suddenly, there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or, or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages just as the Holy Spirit gave them ability. This, this, this is wild. This is a massive wind that is coming through this room. It is loud. It is unexpected. There are absolutely no reports of tornado warnings during this time. There is no, no weather forecast of Hurricane Peter coming. This is absolutely unexpected. And all of a sudden, 120 people and the guys, the wind just fills this house and everyone sees it. And then the Bible says what looks like flames and tongues of fire appeared and settled on each one of them. That is the Holy Spirit. Point number one in your notes this morning is this. I want you to write this down. For those of you joining us for the first time or if you're at home, on the back of your bulletin, there's some fill in the blanks and I'm going to give you those and just write this down, take it home and, and continue your study with this. Point number one in your notes is this. God can appear in ways that we can't imagine. I know that sounds really, really simple. But I'll tell you that these men did not imagine that God was going to appear in wind and tongues of fire. Like, you wouldn't have even thought about that. I mean, if we're asking God for a sign, we're not, we're not asking for tongues of fire, right? I mean, we're, we're asking for a sign that we could recognize. This, this is not something that these men would have expected. Now, we will talk about the Pentecostal movement someday but not today. We will talk about speaking in tongues someday, but not today. But I, what I want you to know is that the apostles could not speak in other languages five minutes ago before the Holy Spirit came in, in, and was dwelled into their individual bodies and souls. They could not because they were powered by human. Now they are powered by the Spirit of the living God. The Holy Spirit is often throughout the Bible referred to. We see fire and we see wind commonly associated with the Holy Spirit. I want you to see what John the Baptist said. This is early in John the Baptist's ministry. This is before Jesus has, has come onto the scene. John was out in a river baptizing people. And people would walk from Jerusalem and from other cities, and they would go out to the river to, to, to see John and to be baptized. And there is this day where the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the, and the people from the, the temple, they're like, okay, we got to figure out what this guy's doing out here. So they send some leaders out to the river to talk to John and to kind of figure out what he's doing. Now, this is what John says to the Jewish church leaders. He's defending himself, his actions of baptizing people. 
And I want you to see what John says to the Pharisees. He tells them about the coming Messiah, Jesus Christ. I'm in Matthew chapter 3, verse number 11. John the Baptist says this. He says, I baptize with water those who repent of their sins and turn to God. But someone is coming soon who is greater than I am, so much greater that I'm not even worthy to even be a slave and carry his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. John the Baptist knew this. He prophesied about this. When you are baptized in the Holy Spirit, something happens. Difference happens. It's because the Holy Spirit now lives in you. Let's think about that for a minute. How many things can penetrate you, your body, and live in you for the rest of your life? I know that I have gotten some pretty severe splinters in the past. I hate splinters. I do. One of two things is going to happen. Either you're going to be able to get it out with some tweezers, right, and it hurts, or it's just going to kind of absorb into your body and then it's going to go away after a while. But that doesn't really change your life. When the Holy Spirit penetrates your heart, he changes your life. A few minutes ago, These disciples could only speak in their native language, but now they're speaking in literal, actual languages that they didn't know before the Holy Spirit became part of their life. A.W. Tozer is a famous preacher out of the early part of last century, early part and middle part of last century. And... He was speaking about how important, how this important aspect of penetrability is, this important aspect of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's ability to penetrate, he can penetrate, he can penetrate matter such as the human body. Tozer says that he can penetrate a mind, he can penetrate another spirit, he can even, he can penetrate a human spirit, he can invade the human heart and make room for himself, watch this, without, without expelling anything that is essentially human. The integrity of the human personality can remain unimpaired. Only mortal evil is forced to withdraw from areas that the Holy Spirit penetrates. So when I say the Holy Spirit moves in, I want you to keep in mind that doesn't mean that human moves out. It means that Holy Spirit has moved in. An old devotional writer several hundred years ago, he wrote this analogy saying that if you were to place a, a piece of iron into a fire and you blow up the coals to make them hotter, you have two distinctive substances now. When you insert the iron into the fire, you achieve penetration of the fire by the iron. And soon, the fire begins to penetrate the iron. And now we, we not only have the iron in the fire, but now we have the fire in the iron. These are two distinct substances, but they have a commingled and, and inner a penetration, a, a point where the two have now become one. I wonder if your heart and the Holy Spirit have yet to become one.
That's penetration of the Holy Spirit. Why is it that Christians, we, we, we still tell ourselves that we can't do certain things? When we know that the Holy Spirit is in our hearts, but, but we doubt ourselves. We, we do what we know we can do. Why, why, why do you think that that happens, that we doubt ourselves like this? It's because your heart living in you, your heart and your soul, the Holy Spirit is there, but you're letting your human power drive the truck. You're letting your soul make all of the decisions, make the direction that we're going. You're basing your strength on what you know that you can do, but you know the limits of your power. Here's the thing, you don't know the limits of the Holy Spirit's power. Let me tell you, you have never, ever, 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 ever seen the limits of the Holy Spirit's power. You've never seen it. You know the limits of your own power. Why are we relying on our own power? There's a Holy Spirit living within us that has so much more power than we do. There are two people who live within you, you and God the Holy Spirit. Why are you taking the lead? Why are we leading? Look at all of eternity. Look at all of creation. And look at what God has done at his best. Now I want you to look back at your last 40 years and look at what you have done at your best. Why are you leading? Why are we leading? Come back with me to Acts chapter 2. We're in verse number 5. Luke writes this, At that time there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. When they heard the loud noise, everyone came running, and, and they were bewildered to hear in their own language being spoken by the believers. They were completely amazed. How can this be, they exclaimed. These people are all from Galilee, and yet, yet we hear them speaking in our own native languages. Here's the second thing that I want you to write down this morning. Point number two in your notes is this. When the Holy Spirit lives in you, people notice. When the Holy Spirit lives in you, people notice. Thank you, Paul. Somebody say amen. Remember, you're on vacation with your family in New York, right? And we talked about this earlier. And this massive event that happened, whatever it happens to be, you can make something up in your own mind. You took it home to tell everyone in your family about it. There were other Jews in Jerusalem at this festival and they heard that wind. They heard that loud sound and they come running. It's like when there is an accident out on the road and all the cars start slowing down. You say, you say look, I just, but what do you do? When you start getting close, you slow down because you're looking to see what's going on, right? You want to know too. That's the same thing that's going on here. There's a loud noise and everyone comes running because they want to see. Let's talk about territories in this land for, for a minute. Jerusalem is in the southern area called Judea. North of Judea is another area where Jews live, it's called Samaria. Now, the Jews in Judea don't like the Jews in Samaria, that's north. Now, north of Samaria is another territory called Galilee. The Jews in Judea and Galilee, they get along. The ones in the middle, they don't really get along. Neither of them get along with very well. But here's the thing. Depending on where you're from, you are going to have a different dialect. You're going to have a different accent.
accent to your speech. It might be the same language. It, that dialect might be so different. Have you ever heard anyone speaking English? They're actually speaking English, but their drawl or, or their accent, it's so foreign that you can't even understand it, right? We get people from other countries. That's English, but I have no clue what you're saying. Nothing at all, right? So this is happening. If you've ever heard somebody from the South, you don't even have to ask them where they're from. As soon as they tell you their name, you know that they're from the South. That's what's happening here. You have people with different accents, with different dialects. But people could tell where you were from in Jerusalem because there's people from all over the, the, the world. All these different towns in and around this area, this Palestine area where, where, where Jesus walked, but other areas as well. If you were from Judea, you spoke with a, a different dialect. If you were from Galilee, you had a different dialect. If you were from Asia Minor, there was a different accent, a different dialect. If you were from Rome, if you were a Jew from Rome, you had a different dialect. Alexandria, all of these areas, there would be a different sound to your speech. And it's not only your Hebrew dialect, it might be, most people then were trilingual. So you would, you would speak, you would speak uh, Hebrew, you would speak Greek, you would speak Aramaic, and then you might even speak a language of your tribe. Wherever you came from, there might be a language there as well. So you've got these different languages, but the Holy Spirit comes, and with this tongue of fire on the heads of the apostles here, he allows them to speak in languages that they had never spoken before. Languages of men from different areas, not just dialects or accents, full languages. Now, I want to make one thing very, very clear right here. The Bible says that the apostles were speaking in other languages. They were speaking in known languages. They weren't talking gibberish. They, they weren't talking a bunch of strange sounds. They weren't talking made-up languages. It says that they were talking known languages at this moment. What happened there had not happened before on, on Pentecost. But the fact that it did happen shouldn't have really been a surprise. Not to the God-fearing Jews, not to the, the Hebrew scholars, not to the Pharisees even. This shouldn't have been a surprise at all. We're going to the Old Testament book of Joel, and we can see, we can see this in Joel, this prophecy. Joel chapter 2, verse number 28, it says, Then, after doing all these things, I will pour out my Spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. In those days, I will pour out my spirit even on servants, men and women alike. See, although this had never happened before, it was evident that those who fear God, they could tell what this was. They knew this is miraculous. This is different. The apostles could recognize the change in each other's behavior. The, the people who lived there, the people who were there at the festival could recognize this change. As a matter of fact, we have no record of anyone who was baptized by the Holy Spirit who held on and continued to exhibit their own human personality traits. When the Holy Spirit moves into your heart, things change. When things change, people notice. 
You might not all of a sudden start speaking in different languages, but you might all of a sudden start looking at people like actual people and not by their group or not by their tribe or not by their color. You might not be going out and driving out demons out of people, but you might all of a sudden start loving people by your works and your actions more than you ever have before. If you are a born-again Christian, the Holy Spirit lives in you, but you as human have the ability, watch this, you have the ability to determine how much of the Holy Spirit is seen by others. You are the one that gets to shine the Holy Spirit from your heart, and you get to determine how much. You can, as many people have, as many Christians have, shut the shutters of the windows of your heart so that God is hidden inside there. Why don't you let anyone else see? Why don't we let people see God in our hearts? And, and notice, why do we let just a little bit of light out through the cracks of, of the window where their shutters come together? Why is that the only space that the Holy Spirit can be seen? Is that just where it's forced out? Why are we not opening the windows of our heart wide open? You control that window. You control how much other people see of the Holy Spirit in your heart. That's what you do control. Follow me back to Acts chapter 2. We're in verse number 9. Luke writes this. Here we are, Parthians, Medes, Ameliites, people uh, from Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, the province of Asia, Phrygia, uh, Pam Pamphylia, Egypt, and all the areas of Libya and Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, and we all hear these people speaking in our own language about the wonderful things that God has done. The lesson here, this is so important, the lesson here is not that they were speaking in other languages. The lesson is what they were speaking about. They were speaking about the wonderful things that God has done. Write this down. Point number three in your notes. The Holy Spirit always points to Jesus. The Holy Spirit always points to Jesus. And I want you to understand that this verse, these verses 9 through 11, are very similar to your vacation in New York, right? We have people from Montana, Colorado, Florida, Toronto, Oregon, Northern California, Paris, California, and all the visitors who, who were there from Europe. And the Bible says that all these people heard the apostles speaking in their own language, but it's the importance of what they heard. It wasn't so important that they heard in their own language, but it was important what they heard. And what they heard was the wonderful things that God has done. That's what they took home. That's what they took home, is this message that Jesus is the King and the Messiah. That's what they heard in their own language. The Holy Spirit does not talk about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit leads people to Jesus. The Holy Spirit leads your heart to Christ. That's what the Holy Spirit does. Years ago, a Bible teacher by the name of F.B. Meyer 
he had owned a, a fire log factory that employed prisoners. He would, he would give these prisoners a job. They would come to his factory and work, and he would give them good wages, and he would give them a place to live. And when he had the opportunity, he would talk to them about Jesus. And the agreement was, was that he was going to pay them, he was going to give them a place to live, and they were going to provide work. They were going to earn their keep. And as you can imagine, this experiment didn't work out very well. And he lost a ton of money hiring these prisoners. He finally, he finally fired all of the workers and he gathered money. And he went out and he purchased a circular saw that was powered by a gas engine. He put this saw to work, and in one hour, this saw turned out more work than the combined efforts of all of the men in the course of a day. One day, Meyer had a little conversation with his saw. We know half of the conversation. He said, how can you turn out so much work? He asked his saw, he said, are you sharper than the, than than the saw that the men were using? No. Is your blade shinier than the one that the men were using? No. Then what? Better oil? Better lubrication on the wood? No. Some have said that if the saw could reply, the saw would have said something like this. The saw would say, you know what? I think I think there's a stronger driving force behind me. Something is working through me with a new force. It's not I, it is the power behind me. Meyer later observed that many Christians and many ministers even were working in the power of the flesh in the power of their own intellect, in the power of their own energy, of their own enthusiastic zeal, but with very little effect. Christians need to become linked together with the power of God through the Holy Spirit. We have to become one. Here's the fourth and final point in your notes this morning. It's time to stop leading your life and start relying on the Holy Spirit. Amen? It's time to stop leading your life and start relying on the Holy Spirit. God's given you a gift. The Holy Spirit lives in you. How much are we relying on God? How much are we going to God, are we relying on the Holy Spirit in our hearts through our everyday life? I'm not talking about major, major big decisions. I'm talking about everyday life. I'm going to tell you a story that I'm embarrassed by. Now, I'm absolutely embarrassed by this. And this isn't in my sermon at all. This actually happened last night. I was with my little man, Max. He's 10. We were at the store. Max had mentioned, he said, Dad, you know what would be nice is if we had some games that we could play so the kids who were at church early, that we could play some games before worship starts. And if you notice at the back table, there's some games back there. 
I took Max into the store and we went and found some games and picked up a few games and went to the check stand. And I don't know if you've been to the Walmart in Paris on a Saturday afternoon, but the checkout time is about 25, 30 minutes, something like that. You're gonna be in that line for a little while. I was having a conversation with the lady behind us. She continued to complain about the length of the line and, and the time. And I was asking her where she was from and, and, and we were talking to her about the games and just some other random stuff. And it finally came to our turn and, and we had two different orders. So I put in one card and put in the numbers and I put in the other card and put in the numbers get the receipts and fold them up and put them in my wallet. And as I'm grabbing these games and grabbing this binder that he had got for school, Max, my 10-year-old, he says, Dad, why don't you invite her to church? The kid's 10. What was I doing? I was living my everyday life, but a 10-year-old struck me. So, Dad, hey, you're in the line and you're talking to somebody. I know what happens. It happens to me. Why are we leading our life when the power of the Holy Spirit lives in us? Why are we leading? That's a big question today. I pray that you will see the power of the Holy Spirit in your heart and let that lead. Let that be your first conversation with people.